Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Ve salatu vesselam ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vala. Welcome to our daily roha in Ramadan. And inshallah ta'ala we are going to continue discovering some of the meanings that will inshallah increase our relationship with the Quran and to make it stronger and much more intimate. And we've been discussing thus far in the past two lectures the outward etiquettes, the adab, zahira, that you and I need to have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. We spoke first about the hal al-qara, the state of the one reciting. And then we spoke yesterday about the miqdar al-qira'ah, the amount that someone recites. And the, the take home there was we need to make the Qur'an a matter of great importance in our life and to make it a priority whereby which we arrange other things around it. And this is what we can glean from the intense connection that the people who came before us had with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. So we had said that there are 10 etiquettes that Hujjat al-Islam, Imam al-Ghazali treats. And now we have reached the third, al-thalith, fi wajh al-qisma. Now he's going to talk about dividing the Qur'an in different parts. And this, of course, is going to relate to the etiquette that preceded, i.e. how much, the amount that we're reciting. Because now we're speaking about how we're going to divide up what we recite on a daily basis. And he says about that, So he's getting back to what he advised previously, which is to do a khatam a week. But he's saying, for who's doing this a khatam a week, He's going to divide the Qur'an into seven parts. And again, like we've been saying throughout, even if this is unreachable for us on a regular basis, we should try to do this at least once in our life. Try once in your life to do a khatam in seven days. Just once in your life. Even if only once. And try to implement what he's saying here in terms of how it was divided. And he said that we know that the companions were known to have divided the Qur'an, for those that were doing a khatam a week, into seven different parts, seven ahzab that they would then recite. And so it's narrated, for instance, that Uthman radiallahu anhu is that he would begin his khatam of the Qur'an Laylatul Jum'ah, so the night before the day of Jum'ah, and he would begin, of course, with the Fatiha and recite from Surah Al-Baqarah to Surah Al-Ma'idah. And then on Saturday, Laylatul Sibt, the, he would recite from Al-An'am to Surah Hud. And then Laylatul Ahad, Sunday, he would recite from Surah Yusuf to Maryam. And then Laylatul Ithnayn, Monday, from Taha to Surah Al-Qasas. And then Laylatul Thulatha, so Tuesday from Ankabut to Saad. And then on Wednesday night from Surah Al-Zumar ila Rahman. And then he would finish his Khatam the night after that and recite from the reigning part to the Surah Al-Nas. And that he then mentions that Ibn Mas'ud used to divide it slightly differently. So they had different ways that they would divide the various surahs that they were reciting into that seven parts that they would recite based upon the days of the week. And we will get into how this relates to what are known as ajzat and ahzab that we are the terms that we commonly hear nowadays. Um, so then he says, that it's said that the Ahzab of the Qur'an are seven. And so then this is a 
is giving us another way of breaking down these uh, seven parts. He said that first his the first part is the first four chapters, including the Fatiha. And then the second is five chapters, and then seven chapters, and then nine chapters, and then eleven chapters, and then thirteen chapters. And then that takes us up to sort of Qaf, and then the seventh Hizb then is from sort of Al-Qaf all the way to the end of the Quran. And um, that there is a narration and that indicates is that uh, one of the companions of the Messenger of Allah, some of the companions were asked, Quran? How did they recite the Quran in different parts? How did they divide it? And this was that was mentioned, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, and then the Hizban Mufassal, which is from Surah Al-Qaf, all the way to the end. So this is the way that they would do it. And notice this is different than the Ajzat that we oftentimes read, that sometimes will stop in the middle of a chapter. So this is what he mentions here, and he keeps it fairly brief in terms of how to divide Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And inshallah there will be um, that, uh, that... So the other thing that's, that's important here um, to, to note here is that however it is that we divide it, um, we want to be consistent in whatever it is that we are doing. And um, these are helpful ways to help us be consistent. And um, uh, that he'll carry over into the next etiquette, which is about writing the Qur'an, uh, other aspects that relate to dividing the Qur'an in different parts. So we'll take this next etiquette and, and finish that discussion. So the fourth etiquette is fil kitbah, writing the Qur'an. And the knowledge of rasam, that is orthography, is one of the knowledges of the Qur'an. I remember in Mauritania, in order for them to get an ijazah in the Qur'an, they not only had to memorize the book of Allah Ta'ala, they also had to study ilm al-rasam, orthography, how to write the Qur'an. And they had to study at least one of the proper ways of reciting, one of the, uh, the qira'at of tajweed. So they had to, to learn a valid recitation of Tajweed, and usually they would study Warsh and Qalun in Mauritania. And so, in order for them to get any jazz in the Quran, they had to take those steps and look at the beauty. If they, any one of these individuals who received this ijazah would be able to write out the Quran from the Fatiha to Surah Al-Nas completely without mistake, and in an era where that in times for pre-printing press, this was something that was of the utmost importance and remains important. And this is again a key part of preservation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book, that we have so many people on the face of this earth still to this day that can recite the Qur'an completely from beginning to end. And at the same time can also write it out. This is a blessing from Allah Ta'ala and one of the great signs that his book has been preserved. And sometimes I think as Muslims, we might take that for granted a little bit and tend to forget the implications of that because the implications are great. This means that our deen has been preserved. And this means that the Quran that we're reciting was the Quran that was revealed to our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Not a single letter has been changed. 
that is absolutely amazing and this enables this being to still be alive in the state such that we, when I connect to it, the efficacy of this deen is very real, i.e. that when we put these religious teachings into practice, there's tahqiq, there's realization, it leads to closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so we should never ever look down upon people as tends to be the case in some cultures in the Muslim world for people that spend their life memorizing the Qur'an and focusing on how to recite Qur'an and teaching other people the Qur'an even if they don't know the detailed meanings and they're not a mufassa where they can comment on the meanings the very fact that they are preserving that the Qur'an in this particular way and they're teaching how it is recited and they're teaching that and helping people memorize it this is of the utmost importance and if you ask anyone who knows anything about linguistics, they will tell you, once a language ceases to be spoken, it becomes dead. And once it ceases to be spoken, you can never ever really pronounce it the way that it was once pronounced. At that point, it is a matter of supposition. And this has happened to languages, and they've, been, they've tried to, pronounce it in a way that they thought that it was pronounced previously, but you can't know definitively. And one of the things that we were studying earlier today in a reading group we have relates to all of the different, what are known as maharish, the points of articulation. And um, one of uh, the uh, students here was explaining that his teacher of Tajweed was telling him all, all of these amazing things about these letters and correcting him as he's reciting them. And it's almost like a diagnostic test. And he was saying that it's also like speech therapy, depending upon someone's background, because even people that are out of origin, different cultures and different dialects will cause them to find difficulty in some letters more than others. And depending upon what uh, part of the Muslim world you're from, where they would speak Arabic, or if you're from a non-Arabic speaking country, you'll have different challenges within relation to the different letters and how there's different techniques whereby which all of the letters can be taught to be recited in the proper way depending upon someone's background and it almost is like speech therapy where then you're getting your mouth used to pronouncing each letter of the Quran in the way that it was meant to be pronounced what a blessing and anyone that's had that experience sitting before a great scholar of Tajweed it's very humbling because usually you don't get past the Fatiha. And you think that you know how to recite the Fatiha, and you realize that you're making mistakes even in the Fatiha. And even if you're not making blatant mistakes, there's still plenty of room for improvement how you could pronounce these blessed letters of the Quran and Kareem. So we should take this into consideration and be very thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. And this is something that we need to bring here to these lands in which we're living where we're teaching the Qur'an and we're teaching Tajweed of the Qur'an and how to recite it properly in the various sciences of the Qur'an and of course including eventually the meanings of the Qur'an and when we do all of this that inshallah ta'ala it will facilitate for people in these lands to establish a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book so this fourth etiquette is about kitbah it is about writing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book and 
This could be if we're actually writing a copy, if we're a copyist or the, of the Qur'an, or that this could be if we are actually making notes and writing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book on a piece of paper or something. And so he says here, يُسْتَحَبُّ تَحْسِينُ كِتَابَةِ الْقُرْآنُ وَتَبِينُ It's recommended that we adorn the way that we recite, we write Allah Ta'ala's book. Tahseen, we write beautifully, okay, as opposed to that sloppily. And tabiyunu, making sure that the words are clear and distinct. The letters are clear and distinct. And walabats bin nakti wal alamat bil humra wa bin So it's fine, he's saying, that Imam al Ghazali to use a red pen to put the dots on the letters and the vowels on the letters, i.e. the diacritics. And um, if you <coughs> excuse me, look online, and um, you can see pictures of a mushaf where there's no dots. And people were very adept. They were able to read that very easily with a very small amount of training. And then at a certain point, in order that people, to help people not make mistakes, it was permitted to write some of the dots in that red. So you'll actually see pictures where the uh, letters themselves are in black and then the dots, the diacritics, are in red. And then that there was uh, growth that took place after that, where eventually then you and I oftentimes are reciting from a very particular type of mushaf. And that has a whole history in and of itself that we won't be able to cover in a lecture like this, but there's a history to all of that. Um, but this is his advice, is that this is something that is okay for us to do in order to protect people from making mistakes in how it is that they uh, write Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. Now, he then goes to start, because in, in the context of writing, it's closely related to the Wajh al-Qismah, how it's divided. And he mentions some of the early scholars from the Tabi'een, and Hassan al Basin ibn Sirin, is that they actually did not like the copies of the Qur'an being, uh, being, uh, trans being written in parts. So like the Akhmas in five parts, or in ten parts, or in Adza' in parts of, of a certain amount of number. Um, they, they actually... Uh, that didn't like this, and this was their particular opinion. Um, and then there's other scholars who said that uh, they felt that it was mukru to um, write the diacritics in red. And so some of them would say, Jabridul Quran is, is that to uh, recite the Quran without these red dots and the diacritics on it. Um, but Imam Ghazali then goes into a discussion because keep in mind, he was one of the great scholars of fiqh and how he presents that position and there was intentions that they had behind that because they feared the door that would open up and these ulama certainly had reasons that were not related to their caprice for that. But then he, his Imam Ghazali's opinion is what he mentioned first that this was something that was okay to facilitate the easy recitation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And um, then he go, takes the opportunity to mention the discussion to speak about an affair that is muhlah. That is, that a new matter that didn't take place in the early period. And what he says about this, even though that this was something that wasn't done in the early period, 
he says that it's a good thing. How many new things are actually good? And he then mentions the example of the Iqamat al-Jama'at al-Tarawih of Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab and how he gathered people to pray Tarawih during his time عنه, and how this was a bid'ah hasana, this was a recommended innovation this was something that wasn't done during the time of Sayyidina Bakr and that the Prophet came out to pray only a few days with the companions initially so this was a, a bid'ah in a sense but it was a good bid'ah, it was a bid'ah hasana and in the Wat Ibn Malik, Sayyidina Umar is reported to have said, Ni'matil bid'atu hadhi. What a great bid'ah this is, what a blessed innovation this is, indicating that there are clearly categories of bid'ah. And uh, this is mentioned by the scholars who came before us, the likes of Imam Shafi'i, where bid'ah is classified into different categories depending upon the nature of that particular innovation. And, uh, the commentary of Imam Zabidi on the Ihya mentions a convenient way for us to understand what that criterion would be for a bid'ah to be permissible or that even recommended. And he says that in the bid'ah al-mubaha huwa ma shahida bi husni ahlu al-shara' aslu al-shara' aw iqtadathum maslaha tandafa' biha mafsada. So what is a permissible innovation? It is one that there is some foundation for that particular matter in the sacred law so it's if there's a foundation for it already in the sacred law or there is a particular maslaha benefit in doing it that will ward off some type of harm some type of mafsada and so uh, when it comes it comes clear in terms of making the marks and the dots on the letters red the maslaha there benefit there is to assist people in reading Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. The mafsad of the harm being warded off is people mispronouncing the verses. So this is considered to be a good bid'ah. Now, and then he mentions some other positions there that go into a little bit more detail where some of the scholars say is that I wouldn't put the dots myself, but I would read from a mushaf that had them. Um, and um, the, then he mentions a little bit about the history of it and how it came in stages and what they first focused on. And um, he actually says here is that uh, they first started to put the dots on the bat and the tat. And, um, and then after that, eventually, that they added that different uh, uh, that diacritics until eventually that we reached the point where we have the Muslahat that you and I recite from today. So that's the fourth etiquette is how we write the Qur'an. So if we ever write the Qur'an, we want to do so beautifully with nice penmanship, good handwriting, and in a very clear and distinct fashion. And then the fifth etiquette is what he calls a tartil And Allah says in the Qur'an, وَرَتِّلُ الْقُرْآنَ tartila And recite the Qur'an in a slow and distinct manner. Tartil is reciting the Qur'an in a slow, indistinct manner. And um, we also have the word tajweed. And ilm tajweed, the science of tajweed, is a science that is studied to learn how it is to properly recite Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And um, then we will come to know that there are different levels of acceptable recitation. But tartil relates closely to 
this idea of tajweed and that it's reciting the Quran slowly and distinctly and no matter how fast it is that we're reciting Allah Ta'ala's book we still need to recite it slowly and distinctly and we need to give every letter ideally its haqq give every letter its right when you're reciting it from Allah Subhanahu's book and as we improve in tajweed we will learn some of the other subtleties as well that relate to that and so that At-Tartiyah, what does he say about this? Huwa al-mustahab fi hayatul Qur'an So that this is recommended in terms of how we recite the Qur'an لِنَّا سُنُبَيِّنَ أَنَّ الْمَقْصُودَ مَنِ قَرَعَ تَفَكُّرُ Because what we're going to explain is the purpose of reciting the Qur'an is tafakkur, reflection pondering the meanings, deliberating the meanings thinking deeply about the meanings this is the purpose of recitation. But tartil mu'inun alayh and reciting distinctly and slowly, clearly, assists you in reflection. And so this is something that you and I all have to consider. And it is a good thing to look for someone who recites the Quran beautifully uh, in the masajid and so forth. But we shouldn't just only want to hear a beautiful recitation of the Quran. One of the purposes of reciting the Qur'an beautiful, yes, is to give the Qur'an its haq, but also for you and I to reflect deeply upon it. And I think there are two extremes that we oftentimes find in our community regarding this. There are those who, if someone doesn't have an extremely beautiful recitation, won't even ever consider them to be an imam or to lead the prayer. Uh, and um, that's almost like their only criterion of all is if the recitation is beautiful. And that's obviously one extreme. There's other considerations you want to take into consideration as well. And then on the other side of the spectrum is where you have people who that don't give the Qur'an its proper haq and to that recite it in the way that it should. Whoever doesn't adorn his recitation beautifully that of the Qur'an is not from us. So this is something that we should do. We should strive to recite the Qur'an beautifully and maintain that balance we learn the science of tajweed we continue to recite better and better as we progress through life and at the same time we don't let our focus be on the tajweed eventually at first you have to focus to get it right but then after you get used to the recitation the purpose of tajweed and tartil is so that you and i can reflect upon the meanings so there are some people that become so preoccupied with the recitation of the Qur'an that they forget to actually reflect deeply upon the meanings and that is in excess of course and what we want is the balance. Tartil, reciting slowly and distinctly helps you um, that reflect upon the meanings of Allah Ta'ala's book. And then Imam Ghazali says, for this reason, Um Salama, the blessed wife of the Prophet وسلم, she described the recitation of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as being a qira'ah mufassara qira'atan mufassaratan harfan harfa it is a recitation that was mufassara it was clear lucid harfan harfan and distinct it was clear and distinct and you could hear every letter you could pick up everything that the Prophet sallallahu was reciting, and there's no doubt, no one had beautiful 
as beautiful recitation as our Prophet Think about the most beautiful reciters that you could possibly imagine that you've ever heard. And just imagine what it would have been like to have prayed behind the one to whom the Qur'an was revealed, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, there are some people who are gifted to actually hear the recitation of the Prophet Sallallahu And then there are some people who have been gifted that but are then known to have recited with the recitation that was close to that of the Prophet Sallallahu And among those that they mentioned is Habib Ahmed bin Hassan al-Abbas who had an incredibly beautiful recitation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's book. So then that Ibn Abbas says, and this is again about Tartil, reciting slowly and distinctly. He said, for me to recite Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran, so the second and third chapter of the Qur'an, Urattiluhuma, in, in a slow and distinct fashion, Wa'attadabbaruhuma, and reflect deeply upon them. Ahab ilayya man al-Aqra al-Qur'ana kulluhu hadrama, is that more beloved to me than for me to recite the Qur'an so quickly that you can't make out the words that I'm reciting. It's almost like Babel. You can't pick up what it is that they're saying. And um, I remember one of my teachers in Mauritania, Marabir Ahmad Thal, uh, when I asked him about reciting with Tajweed, that he ended up saying that to really reflect deeply upon one verse of the Qur'an is better than many complete readings of Allah Ta'ala's book. So tadabbur is really important. And so we have to balance everything that was said in the previous etiquette of amount with this. And um, one of the ways that we can do that, as I've heard from our teachers, is Miran al mentioned having two different khatams, and, and from one in, in the morning, one in the evening. And that was for those who was encouraging to do, doing two khatams a week, which is a lot. But another way of doing this is that you have, for instance, a khatam. Uh, and, and this is really what I would encourage anyone that can recite the Qur'an fairly well. I would really encourage them to do a juz a day. Like at least a juz a day. And then what you can do is, you can have a khatam where you're doing a juz a day. And then you can have a, another khatam where you are doing a, a page a day. And then you could have another khatam where you're doing a verse a day. And so what you end up doing then is with the just a day, you're reciting a little bit more quickly. With the page a day, you're reflecting a little bit more deeply. And then with the um, verse a day, you're reflecting in the, in the deepest level. And so you're doing that one khatam that you're doing, that one khatam is you're doing on a monthly basis. Uh, the next khatam uh, is going to take you a little bit more time. And then that other khatam, you might die not having finished it, but you started. So it's also a very helpful way of doing it, is breaking it down as such. Now, and then uh, we also have another statement from uh, Sayyidina Ibn Abbas. He says that لأن أقرأ إذا إذا زلزلت والقارع التدبرهما أحب إلي من أن أقرأ البكر على إمران تهذرا. He said for me to that recite Surah إذا زلزلت and 
Al-Qari'ah and reflect deeply upon those meanings is more beloved to me than for me to recite Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran too quickly to the point where I'm not giving each letter its right. وَسُئِلَ مُجَاهِدٌ أَنْ وَلَجُلَيْنْ دَخَلَ فِي الصَّلَةِ فَكَانَ كِيَامُنَا وَاحِدًا إِلَّا أَنَّ أَحْرِ مَا قَرَأَ الْبَقَرَ فَقَطْ وَقَرَأَ الْآخَرُ كُرَانْ كُنَ فَقَارَهُمَا فِي الْأَجْلِ السَّوَاءِ And that Mujahid, one of the great early Salaf, who comments on, on the Qur'an, he was asked about two people in prayer. And one of them, they were both standing. And one of them recited Surah Al-Baqarah. It says, only. Yani only Surah Al-Baqarah. <laughs> and the other one did an entire khatam. And he said, they have the same reward. And so, we don't want to forget the reward that we get for reflecting deeply upon the verses is another type of reward that we have to balance with the reward that we get from recitation of the Qur'an. And then he does want to make, a, in, in closing, a point to clarify. He says that tartil, reciting slowly and distinctly, is recommended not only for the reason of tadabbu, not only for the reason of reflecting upon the meanings, he says, because the Ajmi, the non-Arab, that doesn't fully understand the meanings of the Qur'an, it's still recommended for him to recite the Qur'an with tartil. And um, because this is closer to respect of the Qur'an and honoring it in the way that it should, and it's ashaddu ta'thirun fil qalib, when someone recites slowly, distinctly, beautifully, it is a stronger impact upon the heart than reciting too quickly or reciting in a hasty fashion. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with these etiquettes and bless us to be able to give the Qur'an a talk outwardly and inwardly and to learn to recite Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book in a way that is pleasing to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala find a nice balance. Bless us all to find a nice balance of what we can be consistent with of reciting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book and then increase in that as we get older and closer and closer to meeting Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah Ta'ala bless us in these first ten days of Ramadan. Ya Rahman Rahmin, to have mercy upon us and forgive all of our sins. Ya Rabbil Alameen, and to give us the greatest of this world and the next. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa alayhi wa sallam, wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.